talking about it. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson on 900 CHML. Hey, it's Hamilton Today. I'm Curtis Thompson, Scott's son. Ted and Diana are in the newsroom. Will is on the board. My dad put up the Halloween decorations this past weekend, and that can only mean one thing. Time to shop for Christmas. Hey. Here's Scott Thompson. Why didn't you do it live? He's standing on the other side of the door. Okay. Come here. <laughs> Come here. What? Do you want to do it? Why didn't you? <laughs> hey, don't come in. You're messing my tent. You just said come here. Okay, you can come here if you want. Come here, come here. Why are you home? How come you didn't want to do it live? Where are you? <laughs> He's crawling through my bed sheet now uh, to come into the tent. Welcome to the fort. Hey, uh, why? come here. Come here. What are you doing? Oh, don't worry about the tent now, Kurt. We're kind of on the air live. What? Uh, so what are you doing home? What happened to football practice? It's raining. So what if it's raining? No, it's The cold. Ticats play in the rain. What do you mean it's raining? No, to go in the theater to watch film. Oh, watch and film. All the out. Oh, man. Oh, political again. So, do you want to read the intro live or? Well, it's too late. I guess we've moved on. What? All right. Uh, on your way out the door, can you please uh, reconstruct the tent that you've taken down? Ladies and gentlemen, Kurt Thompson in the house. All right. Uh, it is uh, 310. It is Hamilton today. And uh, it's a blustery one, it's a dark one. And. And, sorry, he's trying to assemble the tent. Uh, Bye, it's a blustery one. Forget it. He'll be here for 20 minutes. Uh, it's a blustery one. And Will loves this time of, uh, of year. Will loves a day like today. Me, I can't even see. I'm stumbling around. I can't find anything because it's pitch black in the tent and, you know, the lights are on. And But you love this weather. Yeah, it's exciting. <laughs> It, you, you get the wind blowing, you get the trees moving, all the rain. This used to be, uh, back when I was in school, this was the best weather for me to be studying in because it, it gets my brain stimulated. So, I don't know, different Not strokes. if you're a Halloween decoration, man. Mine are, uh, <laughs> I, I, as Kurt said, I put them up this weekend, and I'm not sure where they are right now. They could be in the backyard for all I know. But yeah, it is a blustery day. You love it, this sort of stuff. That's See, some people, it's gray, and it's cold, and it's damp. I don't think Ted's having fun. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, anyway, you know, good for you. You know, it's about enjoying all four seasons, and this is a typical fall day as we uh, approach Halloween. And why not? Poll question of the day today, Ontario's capacity limits. It seems we've been having this discussion for weeks now. Are we ready? Is it the right time? 61% of you are saying yes. And for Friday's poll question of the day, uh, too early for Christmas TV. This was kind of divided up into three categories. But as you look at them and you break them down scientifically, as I have done, uh, you will see that there's three different categories uh, regarding TV at Christmas, or sorry, Christmas t- uh, TV before uh, U.S. Thanksgiving, Halloween, 10% so excited, so that's one group, but then not my thing, and it's still October. Well, those are the same group. So I'm thinking 90% of you are saying, yes, it is way too early uh, for Christmas TV at, uh, of any kind, and I would wholeheartedly agree with all of that. Obviously, last week we were all completely shocked and, and horrified to to learn of the uh, – the horrific accident that happened on the set of the movie Rust, where actor-producer Alec Baldwin um, accidentally uh, shot a well, shot a gun that uh, was supposed to have blanks in it or nothing in it, and in, in result was loaded, 
and killed the cinematographer and wounded the director. Many wondering how this could happen, but it appears that there were some issues on this movie set. Let's bring in Bill Brio, TV critic and author. He is with us now. Bill, thanks for the time. I hope you're well. Uh, I'm doing fine, Scott. How are you doing? I'm doing good, thanks. Uh, Rather than me ask you questions, you've been around this business for a long time. What are your thoughts? What do you think happened here? It's very shocking in this day and age that conditions would be such on a movie set that the guns were not handled uh, in the most uh, safest and most protective manner. Um, I've been on sets. In fact, there was a Canadian show several years ago, and as a promotion, they asked me and a few other uh, reporters to come while uh, guns were demonstrated. And this was a target range. It was for a police series. And I was asked to shoot along with a few other folks. We had targets set up, but everything was monitored and and proceeded with uh, the people in place to make it safe. And they're generally retired police officers or people who trained police officers. And I tell you, it took a long time before they let us fire anything. We were instructed on what to do, how to do it, and where to point. I was watching something over the weekend, and they had a professional who I guess is a gun wrangler, for, la- for lack of a better word, that supplies this, these, these props or guns. They're not really props. Um, but at the end of the day, he said that there was no reason to even have a live round on a movie set, seeing that they never would take a live round to a movie set, or meaning a bullet, because they're not used there. They're not there to shoot. They're there to uh, be props. So uh, any thought on that, whether, you know, there's any reason to have a live bullet there as opposed to anything but blanks? Well, you're right. Uh, a lot of sets, they don't have uh, any kind of uh, even blanks in the guns. Uh, that's all done in post. The, the flash, the bang. Um, there was a producer of a series here I know um, that uh, was talking about his series Letter um, Sunnyside a few seasons ago and they opted just to do it in post that there was no point in firing the gun because it slows things down and to be blunt you know like it takes a while for the safety mm. procedures to go in place and uh, you know time is money on a set but the reason you do it is just the authenticity of it uh, the, the flash of the gun and sometimes that's an effect that they don't want to duplicate uh, we had heard that there had been issues on this set. Uh, does that is that accurate? Is that obviously a or could it be a contributing factor to any of this? It certainly sounds like it was. I don't know anything specifically beyond what I've read, but um, yeah, if people were quitting because of safety uh, concerns just prior to these scenes being shot, that's I've read that in a couple of places then, oh, my goodness, you know, how? why did it proceed at all? Uh, but, you know, I haven't talked to anyone. I don't know for sure if that's exactly what happened. Uh, as many have said and you have repeated, obviously there is usually very strict protocol with all of the handling of things like this or whether you're doing a car stunt or what have you. Uh, these are well thought out, well re- rehearsed situations. Uh, you've talked about the new version of this media the new version of this industry a lot of fragmented productions a lot of smaller productions has that protocol slipped through this business changing good question scott um you know when we think of the streaming services you think that you know that they're maybe not as professional but i can tell you that anything on disney plus or netflix or any of the major services they're just as 
uh, policed as anything on a broadcast network, if not more. The, the budgets are there for these things. So um, I, I it, certainly anything with firearms, when they're producing these shows, they're not sitting there with a list going, well, we can get rid of this first because it doesn't matter. Yeah. I mean, it, they take it all very seriously unless it's uh, an amateur production at, at some really low level. Um, obviously, uh, we've seen this happen before in other forms, although not very often. What about the acting community reaction to this? Will we see changes in protocol as, as a result of this? Or if protocol is not followed, it doesn't matter how solid it is. Yeah, I mean, the acting community and, and directing and re- uh, everybody's reacting with horror, and, and they're all asking the same thing. It's 2021. It's been decades since uh, John Eric Hexman or, you know, these other examples, yeah. his son, uh, that that was a long time ago. And those were horrific, you, you know, absolutely tragic and pointless deaths that didn't have to happen. There was a lot of uh, clamp down then and, and extra safety procedures. And there'll be again, and hopefully we won't hear this happen again, I guess. And you have to wonder, uh, many are thinking what this uh, this woman, Helena Hutchins' family, must be going through and what Alec Baldwin must be going through uh, at this time, knowing what's happened. I mean, how do you move forward from this? Yeah, terrible waste. Helena Hutchins, if all accounts, real up-and-comer, loved her work and was a, a real boon on the set, popular and uh, just a real professional Baldwin, yeah, I mean, it's hard to get your head around. This guy was hosting, uh, you know, match game uh, episodes for a few yeah. years there. He would joke, be very self-effacing about how his movie career was over. And uh, here he is making a movie, and this uh, horrible tragedy happened. So uh, it, it is uh, just, isn't that a good thread to this story? No, that's for sure. Bill Brio with us, TV critic, author, and of course you can read him just about anywhere, talking about the horrific story happening on the set of Rust uh, involving Alec Baldwin and the death of uh, the cinematographer Helena Hutchins uh, when a gun that was thought to have been not loaded actually was. Bill, thanks so much for the time and insight on this. Be well. You too, Scott. If passed, the proposed legislation would require workplaces with 25 employees or more to create disconnecting from work policies. These rules, for example, could direct companies to specify when workers should be responding to emails and encourage employees not to click on them outside of the hours they're actually scheduled and paid to work. Labor Minister Monty McNaughton says the message is simple. When you're off the clock, you're off the clock. Ontario cannot be a province where people burn out from endless work and family time comes last. We need to give our workers a break. The bill also proposes to ban employers from using non-compete agreements, which McNaughton says will help workers advance their careers and help Ontario's ability to attract top talent, something he says we really need right now. Sandy Salerno, Global News. All right, is this something that we can legislate? Is this something moving forward that, uh, or is it something that has to be done, that we can regulate? Can they watch you from home? Can they, um, I guess, make you uh, uh, respond to emails and, and, and other things beyond work hours? Let's bring in Samara Belitsky, Senior Associate with Tamfuro, uh, uh, Samfuro Tamarkin, and with us now. Samara, thank you for the time. I hope you're doing well. Thank you, Scott. Happy to be here. So what can be legislated here? What could government do to change behavior? 
So what we're hearing, and we haven't seen the actual uh, proposal yet, but what we're hearing is that they're going to be focusing on employees not having to be kind of on call, quote unquote, uh, during outside office hours or after hours, because what we've seen over the last 18 months or so is a real shift with people working remotely. And so there's been a a real trend into, you know, people working beyond the regular nine to five uh, simply because they're at, they're at home and they're available. Is this about disconnect, uh, disconnecting or is this about companies actually monitoring what you're doing, monitoring throughout the day when you are on the company computer, when you are not on the company computer? Because uh, this uh, is a little, bit, a little bit more complicated than just you can't email email me after hours. So, again, we'll have to see what happens when the actual legislation comes out because we're still waiting on all of the details. But from what the provincial government has outlined thus far, it doesn't seem to be something where they're monitoring necessarily their employees. And it seems to be a more employee-friendly legislation rather than employer. Of course, again, we'll have to see what, what the actual legislation says. But as it's been presented, the goal is really supposed to be to make sure that people are not being overworked uh, and potentially overworked and underpaid at the same time. Do you think this is possible to enforce? I think it will be possible in certain circumstances, but it will involve the employee's participation. So in other words, right now we have, just as a comparison, health and safety legislation that's in place and all employers are supposed to abide by it. Uh, But in order to hold employers accountable, that means that if there are employers who aren't complying with it, the employees have to take them to task and make sure uh, that they're holding them to what the law says. So in in a sense, you you view that as the same, uh, that policy the same as this, that it's still in regard to employee health. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's, you know, what we're trending towards here. And that does seem to be the intention behind the legislation so far, based on what we know for that particular aspect, because uh, what's making headlines is a lot of this uh, policy to disconnect and not having employees work after hours. And there are other aspects to it, like the non-compete clauses uh, that they've announced, that being uh, unenforceable or uh, something that employers can't do anymore. But you know, the, the working after hours seems to be the main social legislation thus far. Uh, I want to read you something from uh, tech analyst Carmi Levy, who's going to be on the show a little later. He says, uh, employers are all too happy to have employees log in early, stay late, and keep working, even if they're walking the dog in the morning or mowing the lawn on the weekends. They're also increasingly likely to monitor employee performance and attendance on all devices, even personal ones, and services platforms. They think it's productive, but in reality, it is destructive. By working from home, are we giving up some of that privacy, some of that security? So I think from a mental perspective, it may feel like we're giving some of that up because of the shift in work culture that we've had over the pandemic. But the truth of it is that even when working from the office, uh, those measures have always been in place. So an employer could always check productivity. You know, as long as the employee is logged in, you're at work, they can always check as an employee what it is that you're doing, how much time you spend, for example, browsing the Internet versus doing you know, right. the, the tasks that have been assigned to you. So these are all things that have been in place and that, you know, essentially are lawful in most circumstances. It's just that we're hearing a lot more about it now because of the remote work. 
Uh, obviously, we've talked for the better part of a year and a half about how life is going to change after all of this or already changing. At the beginning, it was when will it return to normal? Now, what's the new normal going to be? How, how, uh, Samara, how big of an issue do you think this is all going to be in the next couple of years? How much of a change are we on the cusp of right now, do you think? I think it's going to be very significant because just from the people that we speak to on a daily basis, there has been a real shift for those who can work remotely. And it seems like a lot of offices and a lot of workplaces who can offer remote work are shifting to an either uh, you know, purely remote work model or at the very least a hybrid model. So this type of legislation and these issues, I think, are only going to get more and more important as time goes on and we see this post-pandemic shift. Are laws and policy in place for what this new world will be, or is that as we go? I I think yes and no, uh, Scott. So I think there are laws already in place that can apply to this situation. It just means pivoting the application of, for example, health and safety law to apply to a a work-from-home situation versus an office situation. But the laws are there, and and they're there, um, you know, are ready to protect employees and then when it comes to this shift in culture where, as you said, people are, you know, emailing while they're walking their dogs or, you know, emailing at 8 o'clock at night when they're only getting paid till 5 o'clock, that's something that is starting to change and starting to shift a lot more, uh, which is why the government started to come up with this type of legislation. Samara Belitsky with us, Senior Associate with Sanfuro to Markin and talking about Ontario Minister of Labour announcing the right to disconnect uh, and the issue of and, and hopefully policy coming forward on all of this. Samara, thanks much for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Be well. Thanks, Scott. You too. A pleasure to have Mike Schreiner with us, leader of the Green Party of Ontario and MPP for Guelph and is with us now to talk about all things green and where this party is going in the future. Mike, thanks for the time. I hope you're doing well. Hey, I'm doing well, Scott. Pleasure to join you today. So let's be very general at the beginning, Mike. And and, and for those that are not, uh, do not know, have not uh, heard enough or investigated enough into your party, what do you want Ontarians to know about the Green Party of Ontario that perhaps they haven't they haven't recognized yet, they don't understand? Well, I think, first of all, uh, electing our first Green MPP in the last provincial election has shown that we're an effective opposition party. We've done good work in the legislature, and we're leading the charge on a number of, I think, important issues for Ontarians. First of all, uh, is uh, releasing our housing affordability strategy that, Numerous commentators have called a masterclass plan and how to address the affordability crisis we're facing in housing. Uh, we're introducing a bill this week uh, to address the climate crisis, another huge issue facing Ontarians. And I've been leading the efforts talking about issues such as addressing the nursing shortage we're facing in our healthcare system. And so, you know, what I want people to know is, is we're a party that's committed to delivering results for people, and we're especially focused on building a green and caring recovery coming out of COVID. Uh, Many people have said that. Uh, The Prime Minister uh, coined uh, Joe Biden's phrase, build back better and such. I remember very vividly uh, Premier Dalton McGuindy saying years ago that he wasn't interested uh, in building any more roads. Do we still not need infrastructure, 
uh, as we as we make the transition. For example, we're investing uh, a bazillion dollars in, in, in EV plants and such through southern Ontario. Are we not going to, going to need this infrastructure moving forward, even as we electrify? Well, we're certainly going to need transit infrastructure moving forward, but I don't think Premier Ford's supercharging sprawl agenda by pushing forward projects like Highway 413 is going to be a climate disaster and I believe a financial disaster for Ontario. Why would we spend up to $10 billion paving over 2,000 acres of farmland, which feeds us, paving over wetlands, which protects us from flooding, paving over parts of the Greenbelt, only to save commuters 30 seconds? It makes absolutely no sense. So we should be building communities that are connected, livable, and affordable, where you can access you know, work and the services and small businesses you want to support within a 15-minute walk ride or transit ride. And we need to be building better public transit so people can get around in an affordable, sustainable way. Why can't we do both? Well, I mean, why would you want to spend $10 billion paving over 2,000 acres of safe commuters only 30 seconds. I mean, but see, Mike, Mike, see, Mike, let me, let me stop you. Let me stop you right there, Mike, because, you know, I, I really believe in what the Green Party has to say. However, I think it gets lost in the extremes. And when you start saying things like they're going to spend billions on a highway that will save 30 seconds is just not realistic. So let me ask this question. Why can't we build smart communities, smart cities that are linked with corridors that supply agriculture that supply infrastructure uh space for transportation energy corridors this sort of thing you you know again you you talk about we're just going to keep paving over all this farmland Well, well that's what ontario is so again can't we find the perfect balance here because at the end of the day especially after a pandemic i i don't think even young people want to be stacked up like cordwood and and packed into a sardine subway they want space so is there not a way to balance this mike well scott that's exactly what i'm talking about and i don't think it i'm being extreme when numerous transportation studies and expert reports have said that this highway is going to cost between six and ten billion dollars and save commuters 30 seconds and so i'm saying from a fiscally responsible standpoint there are better uses for that money. Yes, for transportation corridors that build better transit. Yes, for building cities that have medium-scale density so we can more efficiently and affordably better utilize our existing built environment. I think one of the things the pandemic has shown us is that people want to live in communities where they can you know, enjoy a beverage on a patio and have a space that they can walk to and connect with their friends uh, in a safe way. And so those are the kinds of communities uh, Greens want to build. Those are the kinds of communities that young people especially want to live in. And those are the kinds of communities that build the affordable housing that we lack so much in Ontario right now. That is more, though, to me about building smart communities, building smart developments, you know, building a development in a block of land that has one single family dwellings, has uh, semis, has townhouses, has, you know, low scale, medium density, uh, high, not high rise, but midsize, and then joined with bike paths and parks. There's some communities that, that can do it. 
why can't we like, i don't understand how not building roads and how and again even the mayor of hamilton talks about you know we gotta we gotta fill the you know the infield the the the, the lots that are there and and again i agree with that 100 percent. but is there not a combination is there not a is there not a balance here well wants to say we build livable communities support local small businesses and are great affordable places to live, and I don't see how building Highway 413 delivers on that. I mean, if you look at history, um, the 401 was built uh, to relieve gridlock in uh, around the GTA. That led to more gridlock. So then the 407 was built. That was supposed to relieve gridlock. Unfortunately, the last conservative government sold it off. We have, you know, still have gridlock, and now people are saying let's build or at least Doug Ford is saying let's build another highway if you look but at stacking is up like history. but stacking is up like cordwood Mike that doesn't solve that issue there's more people coming into the province yes we have to fill up the spaces we don't want massive urban sprawl by any means but we do have to keep building well absolutely we have to keep building but why would you build on farmland that c- contributes 50 billion dollars to Ontario's economy and creates over 800,000 jobs when we have lots of land within our existing urban boundaries uh, to create more connected, livable, and affordable communities. I mean, so many people want to live in in things like secondary suites and triplexes and duplexes and tiny homes. But a lot of people, Mike, want their house. A lot of people, though, Mike, a lot of people might too want a house in a backyard, and we. I think we have to address that. Oh, Mike, we're going to call. We're going to talk again. I love chatting with you, Mike Schreiner, with us, leader of the Green Party of Ontario, MPP for Guelph, with some different ideas on how we move forward. You're listening to the Hamilton Today podcast from 900 CHML. Will on the board, Ted and Diana in the newsroom, but have all gathered around the big round table uh, to talk about the issues of the day. And we all uh, welcome you here and thanks for taking part here. And the first question I want to ask is, uh, uh, do you like the weather? And the reason I'm asking that question is because Will and I had this discussion earlier and he absolutely loves us while I was whining about how dark it was in my house. So at the end of the day, do you like the weather? Let's start with you, Ted. No. <laughs> All right. Diana. <laughs> you know what? When I'm inside, I very much do love this weather, especially this time of year. It's great reading weather, napping weather, it weather to be cozy by. Yeah. Yes, yes. Yes, it is good relations weather. That's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> So to speak. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing else to do, honey. Uh, well, I didn't you know, mean that. I meant, you know, just... Oh, I'm not saying you do, on. Diana. I'm just speaking for Ted and I. Oh, dear. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, kind of, oh, all right. <laughs> so let's go to Will, who started this discussion uh, as I whined earlier today about it. I couldn't believe how dark it was outside. He, I, he spoke with passion. I love this. Tell us why. Yeah, I love this. I, it's interesting you say it's napping weather, Diana, because yes. to me, this is exciting. This wakes me up. We get the trees moving, the wind blowing, the Ooh. rain. It's raining sideways. And then you get the thunder and the lightning mixed in. And it's better to be in. Inside, I'll, I'll what do you work that. for FEMA? <laughs> <laughs> Just on the do you side, want to be a first a responder job. or something? Yeah. It's very spooky weather heading yeah. into Halloween. There's the clincher. If this was the middle yeah. of summer and we were having this, maybe not. But, you know, I yeah. feel like it's Good. very, you know. Very nice. Good point. And by the way, where are your uh, Halloween decorations, Diana? They're all up now. I put the rest of the lights on no, last sure night. You better make sure that they're not over the mountain brow or something. Uh, the Halloween decorations are fine. They're attached very well. But my chair went flying off my porch onto the driveway this morning. 
it uh, yeah, it was very blustery. Still so is. there's your priorities. Uh, you've got the Halloween decorations battened down, but the patio furniture and, and the hot tub, it can fly wherever. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Yeah, you, exactly. Should All we? right, let's go to the poll question. Sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, I want to give a shout out to our uh, old friend of the CHML family, Jacob Smith, who last year during weather very similar to this, uh, got a free trampoline deposited in his backyard oh, by right. the wind. <laughs> Yeah. And the kids were still on it. Uh, so <laughs> Hello. the poll question of the day, we've beaten this to death, I think. So, again, we'll go around real quickly. But capacity limits, do you feel good about it this time? 61% are saying yes. Ted? Uh, pretty much, yeah. I'm still not, um, don't know when it will be going out. But, yeah, I mean, things are a lot better than they were, um, you know, six months ago, three months ago. So, yeah, um, just as long as everybody behaves themselves, uh, then, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm quite comfortable with it. Cases are continuing to stabilize, which is great. Yes. Diana, your thoughts? I feel okay. I felt okay for a while now. I think we're good. All right, Will? Uh, my jaw almost hit the desk when I saw the case number this morning. That was uh, very good news. And uh, yeah. I'm, a, I'm, apparently, I'm apparently comfortable with it. I went and saw Dune in the theater yesterday, so I'm, I'm stepping out much more wow. than I thought. It, yeah. Look at you yeah. go. You've seen, more, <laughs> you've seen more flicks in the last month than you did all the last year, I'm thinking. <laughs> Pretty much. Uh, uh, Marty McNaughton, the the government talking about a right to disconnect uh, policy of some sort. I'm not sure exactly how this is going to work, but I guess the the complaint is is that the emails come in uh, when hours, uh, w- you know, after uh, office hours. I, by the way, I'm continually emailing Will all night, all day. However, I guess my expectation is he's not supposed to answer them. It's just I'm getting ahead of myself. It's not about him. It's about me. But what are your thoughts about? Uh, I guess disconnecting, Ted. I have to do a better job of doing that because I'm on email a lot through like yeah. the the evening and you know I and I admit it like I've got to you know not do this get off the computer you know and, and and do other things but on the other part being in our industry you sometimes have to check at night to see for example the last thing I do one of the last things at night is check emails to see Ooh. if there's anything going uh, in uh, the morning or something mm-hmm. happening that we have to be aware about so we're different but we shouldn't be on the computer I think uh, maybe quite not that much. Nope, nope, nope. Diana? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. I used to do that uh, quite a lot, and it became very addictive between Twitter and my emails and everything. Now I've gotten to the point where even after dinner, I put the phone away entirely. My husband and I try to do this. You put the phone in another room and just be present in whatever we're doing. Oh, and also one thing that I will not what do. What are you doing? What do you do without the device in your hand? I don't. I know it's tough. <laughs> it's tough. We'll be watching a show and we'll be like, hey, can you Google where the... Oh, right. Can't Google. No, never mind. You what, know. What but you thing? bring up an interesting point, Ted, because you said choice. So you choose to do that. And yeah. again, we've got a saying here in, yep. in the news business, the porch light's always on, but yep. that doesn't necessarily mean you're always sitting out swinging in the swing. No, but I also will not... not well, first of all, I don't know how to do it, but I'm not going to get emails on my phone. I refuse to do that because I don't want that constant ping of, you know, 150, 200 emails day after day after day. So no, we'll not do that. Yeah, no. Will? Uh, I think if this goes through, it's going to rock a lot of industries, especially uh, news, because so much is built around people kind of 
popping in and out over the course of the whole day. But I think the key word, and Ted touched on a bit, is the right to disconnect. If you want to try to get ahead of your day, there's no one necessarily stopping you from checking your email, uh, responding to an emergency, but you have to have the option just say, peace, I'm out, and then, uh, you know, turn off the app for the night or something. Absolutely. Like, I mean, if there's a massive story happening, I'm obviously going to want to look it up the night before so that my day is easier the next day that I'm informed. I don't go into the newsroom and go, what, what? And I'm totally out of the loop, you know? Um, But for the most part, I try to put it away. Thank you to the round table for joining Ted Michaels, Diana Weeks, and Will Erskine. Steve Jordans is a psychology professor at U of T and says there's a lot to get over when it comes to getting together again. We've all gone through almost two years of thinking two meters is now the new definition of personal space. He says no doubt it will feel weird when we do go to a packed restaurant or gym for the first time. It is a little odd and we should expect it to take a while for for any of us to get comfortable again, you know, literally being shoulder to shoulder with other people. However, Jordan says that humans for the most part like how social and close that we used to be. So he expects that after a brief adjustment period, most of us will get used to being shoulder to shoulder again. Dave Woodard, Global News. There you have it. Reopening day in Ontario area. It is 521. It's Hamilton today. I'm Scott Thompson. Will on the board. All right. uh, As we open up here in Ontario, uh, a lot of people feeling a lot better about all of this. The great news is is that our numbers uh, still uh, continue to drop and be at least stable at 326 new cases today and the the hospital capacity remaining uh, solid. So let's bring in Dr. Timothy Sly, epidemiologist, professor, School of Population, Public Health at Ryerson University. Tim, thanks for the time. I hope you're well. Good afternoon, Scott. I am. Thank you. Are you surprised where Ontario is right now? Are you surprised, especially as we see flare-ups across the country, that Ontario has managed to stay where it is considering the diverse population that we have? Oh, it's white-knuckle stuff, Scott. I mean, I'm watching those figures in Ontario uh, morning and afternoon. We're doing well, and I think Ontario should uh, pat itself on the back because we're holding the course. We got a nice steady direction there. The RT, that's the uh, you know the the R number at the moment, uh, is less than one. Uh, we want to keep that down less than one. The actual numbers per day of diagnosis are still in the 300s, and that's good. I mean, mind you, it's still 300 more than the day before, and that was three or 400 more than the day before. So we're still increasing, but not as much, and uh, all that's look, looking good. So I think the. Uh, the, uh, the 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 steps taken to to relax things a little bit are treated at least by me with with excitement but a, a great caution as well great caution it looks like things are a go for halloween and the kids how do you feel uh, yeah it, it may be better than last year i think we're in a much better position than we were 12 months ago uh, but i think it's still here here's the problem we we're on that we're on that knife edge balancing, we're doing well, we're doing well, we're doing better than a lot of other provinces in Canada, we're doing better than a lot of other countries in the world, actually. But if one slip now, and, we're, and here's why, here, I've got three reasons why I'm nervous. One is, we're just about coming into winter season. And like it or not, winter season sees an increase in cases. Why? Because it's the air is drier, the air is cooler, we're getting inside uh, in, the, in the bar in the basement instead of outside on the patio. That's one reason. Second reason is this virus, as you and I know, uh, has, is notorious 
for just when we begin to relax, it jumps up and bites us in the rear end again. It's done that time and time again. Don't ever underestimate this virus. And thirdly, uh, look at the countries like the UK. We were following them rigorously throughout the first part of the pandemic. They relaxed too soon, and they're now in big trouble. They've got a huge increase of cases going along. So these are the reasons I hair sticking up in the back of my neck when I'm thinking about relaxing a bit. I want to relax. I want to see restaurants back in full business again and, and gyms and so on. But let's do it carefully, and let's not uh, go overboard. Uh, Moderna announcing they're going to be providing uh, data on their vaccination for kids 5 to 11. We've seen Pfizer's already done that for both Canada and the United States. The Center for Disease Control says it could be available there uh, by the end of the week or shortly thereafter. Any idea when Health Canada will get to this? Haven't got a clue. It normally takes a little longer in this country to get that approval than it does in the States. Dr. Fauci said, uh, yup, in about a month, month and a half, maybe, they'll see it going to little kids' arms. Uh, Caution there is good, and we want to be making sure all the I's are dotted and the T's are crossed in terms of safety. But so far, it's looking very good indeed. You, You give the kids a much smaller dose much smaller so that they get the same antibody response but without the, uh, the you know the equivalent increase in uh, in side effects that's the you know sore arm and feverish and so on so it's looking good so far so again uh with halloween being outside obviously uh, better inside cautious well, I think, uh, yeah, I think common sense. We we should have learned something in this last uh, period of time. So I think you, you, you had the old cardboard tube set up. Uh, set up I yes, that's Sliding right. little bars of chocolate. Yes. Well, there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, but I think what, what no old old person wants to do is open the front door, and they're 75, and they see 16 kids. They're all shouting in their face, trick or treat. Yeah. They, we don't want that. So let's try and keep one way or another, get some you know, innovation going. Let's keep the distancing, get the kids coming around a bit. Masks underneath all of the fancy masks maybe wouldn't be a bad idea. But outdoors, we know outdoors is much safer than indoors. Your but thoughts on Moderna definitely. now? Your thoughts now on Moderna uh, talking about getting their uh, vaccine approved for those that age group? I was looking just a, about two hours ago at the, the first release of stuff from the United States, and it's looking very good, in fact, uh, and I hope that that pursues through. And there's no reason why it shouldn't be, but, you know, we just want to be, be doubly sure that everything... And, in fact, the numbers that they're using, uh, there's, a, there's an additional study being done, I think, by Moderna, too. They want more kids in it, just to be uh, really sure. I think it's moving in the right direction. I think people are very cautious about not wanting to put a foot wrong in this. And uh, let's 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 hold on, seat belts on. Let's hope that we get the, rid of this. We don't want to be talking in another six months saying, "Well, we got rid of wave five. We're just going to look at wave six now." No, no. Let's <laughs> let's let's put the boot onto this right away. Let's get keep on the right course. What about the flu shot, Tim? We remember uh, last year they were always encouraging us to get the flu shot, thinking the flu shot would or the flu would be more prevalent, especially with the double whammy of the COVID and the flu. But that didn't happen. Many said because of the protocol was so good for COVID nineteen, it kept the flu at bay. Still recommend flu shots for everyone this uh, this fall. 
Oh, yeah, two big reasons for that one. One is the fact that the masks have worked so well to keep the COVID away. It's also keeping away uh, RSV virus, the uh, common cold and influenza as well. In other words, our natural background resistance, the immunity we normally build up just by interacting with people, that's probably lower than it has been in decades. So if we do take the mask off at some point this winter and start breathing in everybody's face, we're going to see probably a bad flu season. It could well spread even further because we don't have a natural immunity. And secondly, we don't want to see confusion at the hospital door between influenza and COVID. Mm -hmm. You don't want people who have got COVID thinking they've just got influenza, and we don't want people who have got influenza thinking they've got COVID and going and panicking and getting all the tests done. Let's keep them separate as much as possible. So get the flu shot. I got mine out already uh, about 10 days ago. Dr. Timothy Sly with us, epidemiologist, professor in the School of Population and Public Health, Ryerson University. Tim, as always, thanks so much for the time. Be well. Thanks, Scott. Take care. Bye-bye. Catch up on the news and information you've missed. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson on 900 CHML. All right, lots to talk about in the tech world, whether it's Facebook or Facebook or maybe the metaverse or the Facebook papers. Let's bring in Carmi Levy, tech analyst, and he is with us now. Carmi, thanks for the time. I hope you're well. Oh, very well. Good to be here, Scott. Uh, always lots to talk about with you, and I have a hard time cramming it all in, but we'll start with Facebook. What are the Facebook papers? Is this more damning than what we've already heard from the whistleblower? Not really. It's kind of related to that. So uh, Frances Haugen, she, uh, she, of course, had uh, downloaded a whole ton of stuff uh, per- to her personal devices before she quit Facebook. Uh, and so now those papers are being released and they're calling their internal documents and they're calling them the Facebook papers. And basically what it does, it just reaffirms what she had told U.S. Congress a couple of weeks ago. It reaffirms what she's been telling U.K. lawmakers uh, today. Um, so it's nothing really new. It's just kind of basically it's more piling on of the bad news that has been going on for weeks. It's not uh, earth shattering, but at the same time, it puts into relief what we've long suspected. And essentially, it ensures that this is no longer a smoking gun. This really is the absolute proof that proves Facebook hasn't been really playing all that honest with us. They're not the nicest company in the world. It seems that we've had these discussions before, but yet we still love to hate this uh, this platform and continue to use it, despite it seeming to be public enemy number one. Does anything come out of this, or is it more of the same? I think in the near term, not a whole lot. So if anyone expects her to you know, speak to lawmakers and then magically the world is better, that's not going to happen. But what this is, is it's another step along a very long journey toward Uh, a global regime where the company is going to be forced to be more accountable than it has been in the past. And so British lawmakers, they are, they have drafted some legislation that would hold companies like Facebook, what I like to call big social accountable, uh, that there would be rules in place for how they deal with data, how they deal with customers, with end users like you and me, and what the punishment is if they cross those lines. It'll actually define what misinformation is. Believe it or not, there's no definition that everybody agrees on. So, you know, we're, we're in kind of the wild west right now. There are no rules. And so Facebook can do whatever it wants. And even though it looks terrible from a public relations perspective, there's really nothing. They're not really technically doing anything wrong because they haven't broken mm. any laws because laws don't apply to them. So this is going to move us closer uh, toward a world where there is legislation. It'll start in the UK. It'll start in uh, the European Union. But eventually, I can guarantee you, it will come to the US and it will come here to Canada as well. And because of the events of the last few weeks and what we're seeing this week, uh, that process is accelerating as we speak. 
Ontario's Minister of Labour, Monty McNaughton, uh, talks about uh, policies in regard to the right to disconnect. Obviously, uh, especially with uh, post-pandemic and during the pandemic, a lot of people are uh, experiencing this. Um, Can we legislate this? What what can be gained from this? Well, I think what we can gain is maybe a a little bit more balance that when companies operate in a particular country that they, you know, just like Facebook will have to adhere to certain rules in its business, companies, as they deal with remote workers, will have to adhere to rules in theirs, rules in theirs. And so, you know, I think it it recognizes France, for example, implemented a so-called right to disconnect law five and a half years ago. So we're a little slow to the game, but we're getting there. Um, and I think it recognizes that the world of work has changed, that the, the balance of power has shifted significantly away from regular workers, that they've been at a disadvantage for too long, and that, frankly, we do need better balance. Is it going to solve the problem on its own? Is it going to you know, solve the problem of you're working from home 24-7? And there's really, it's very hard for you to disconnect because there's no commute home. You don't leave the office behind you. It follows you on your phone. It keeps pinging hmm. you until you actually turn it off, and the expectations are very different. Well, you didn't commute in, so you should be you should be reachable after hours. You should be reachable while you're walking the dog on the weekend. And so it's 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 a step in the right direction, but like everything, there are no magic bullets here. It's not gonna magically solve the problem. It will add another tool to our toolkit to hopefully achieve a little bit better balance no matter where we live. And, and is, is is this all about getting or answering emails or work off of out of work hours, or is this about them physically being aware of what you're doing all of the time? Because now you've blended your personal systems with your work systems. Uh, can they track at you when you're out and about as opposed to, you know, doing work at home? You've gone to run an errand at two in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. The technology is certainly there. And I mean, I use tools that allow me to do work uh, either on my work laptop or when I leave my home office and I work home from home as well. So that if I have to leave the house during the day, then I, everything just transfers over to my phone. Uh, conceivably, the tech- technology knows that. And if that tech- technology um, can share that with the mothership, then yeah, we do have an issue here. We have overreach of companies looking over the shoulders of, of workers and possibly using it in an, in an abusive manner. Uh, you know, obviously no company's ever going to admit it, but I would feel a whole lot better if workers, no matter what industry they're in, had better protections against the potential for this to happen. You know, we've seen, we've seen work, you know, working or, or labor laws come into effect in previous generations that protected the rights of workers against those businesses, those minority of businesses that would abuse the system to their own advantage. I'd say in 2021, we need similar legislation that does the same thing on a technological basis. And this is the first step. This so-called Working for Workers Act is an important first step in that direction. And I think, you know, better late than never as far as the Ontario government is concerned. There's still lots of work to be done of how this is all going to work moving forward. There's still, it seems like there's just so many questions about how we get back to normal. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, we're still figuring it out. Like this, this, the future of work really is what we like to call hybrid, where, you know, you'll be able to work from anywhere. It's no longer working from home because you could work from home. You could work from being on the road. You could, you could be going into an office. That's a great point. Very different. Yeah. yeah, and and so and we need to prepare for that, and those expectations need to be set so that if you're a worker, uh, that you know you aren't being you aren't put at a disadvantage because you choose one uh, style of work over another, um, and that also if you're a worker and you choose to use your personal devices, and many of us do, as I look at all the 
devices I have arrayed around my desk at home. I have some corporately issued ones, but I also have my own laptop and tablet and smartphone that are personal devices that I use for work. And so the company has access to those through its apps. How am I being protected to ensure that uh, that nothing nasty is going on? I'm, I'm pretty sure that isn't the case in my case, but you can't say that for everyone. And how is the government going to protect it? And also, how is the government of Ontario, a, a provincial government, going to work with the federal government, with, with other governments in other countries, to ensure that the Internet, which is a global resource, uh, that a company can't simply hide behind the fact that, well, we're, we don't do business in Ontario, so your laws don't apply to us. Hmm. This is a case where Ontario needs to talk to other provinces. Canada needs to talk to other countries to ensure that there's a global approach to this. Do you see resentment growing? Is this going to be an issue in the workplace as some can work remotely, others can't? I think so. And you know, it's always been an issue. You know, we tend to forget that before the pandemic happened, you know, remote work was possible, but in many cases it was perceived as, well, you, yeah. know, you want to go home and have a vacation and work in your pajamas. Um, and so obviously attitudes changed very quickly because of the pandemic. No one really had much of a choice, but I, I still think there's a, there's a significant degree of people who just don't appreciate the advantages of having that flexibility. Uh, and I just don't think that humanity has caught up to this massive change yet. And there's a lot of misconception of what productivity truly is uh, and misconception of how to properly manage people no matter where they work. Um, and so we're learning, but, you know, the world is changing faster than we're catching up. And unfortunately, there are gaps and there are workers who get caught in those gaps. And uh, in many cases, it means that, you know, they've got to find another place to work. The good news here is, is that it's a lot easier to job hunt when you're working remotely. <laughs> mm, good point. <laughs> There's that. <laughs> uh, you know, we haven't even got to uh, Donald Trump and his social media page. That's for next time. Carmi Levy with us, tech analyst. Carmi, thanks so much. Be well. Appreciate being here, Scott. Thanks. All right. Scott Radley is joining us, host of the Scott Radley Show, which comes up right after this one, and columnist for your Hamilton Spectator. He is with us now. Scott, thank you for the time. I hope you're doing well. Doing great. I've actually got some sleep, so I'm feeling fine. <laughs> <laughs> you sound actually like you're way over caffeinated. You sound way more excited than you even need to be. For the last week, I was waking up at three thirty when the alarm went off at eight this morning. It's like wait, I just had four and a half hours more sleep. That's like a night's worth almost. It was. I, I love. I don't know. Rick Zamperin is going to die an early death. I'm telling you, all the early morning radio people. That is just painful. Don't get me started. Uh, I just remember my eyes feeling like they had gasoline poured in them. Yeah. All right, uh, let's talk about those issues of the day. Uh, the poll question of the day: poll capa- or sorry, uh, capacity limits now increasing. I think we've overplayed all of this. Is it time? Is it time? Do you feel good about this? Yes, absolutely, I do. I, I I feel like there's a certain point, especially when you look at the numbers and where we are, and vaccinations and where we are. There is a certain point, I think at which you have to look and say, look, we have elements of risk in every single thing we do in our life. When I get in my car in the morning, there is a chance I could have an accident. If I walk yeah. down the stairs, I could trip and fall. I could choke on a chicken bone. Like anything in your life has some element of risk. And somehow we seem to have in this COVID thing almost reached a point where we're averse. We have to sort of make it so that there's no risk at all to anyone ever getting this. And I don't want someone to get it, Scott, but surely at some point we can say the risk in this is an acceptable amount of risk that is no out, not out of the norm for everyday things, and let's get back to normal life. All right, I wanted to uh, ask you about uh, building more infrastructure, building more roads. Uh, the U.S., uh, the Prime Minister took the line from Joe Biden in the U.S., build back better. 
Uh, we've heard this all of the time, uh, but nobody really seems to be able to describe what that is. I had Mark, uh, Mike Schreiner on from the Greens earlier today, and 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 I love Mike because he's usually got some pretty different ideas that aren't traditional left wing per se. And I was kind of disappointed because he's he's going on about the four thirteen, which would be a built above the four oh seven, and saying that it would only save like thirty seconds of your commute, which come on. We all know that's just not the case. And use the example of, you know, when they built the 401, it was to increase capacity, and then it was full. Then they built the 407 to increase capacity, and it was full. Uh, you just keep going and going and going, to which my response is, you know, you build a subdivision full of houses, and then people come in and buy them. Then you got to build another subdivision because there's more people that want to come in and, and live here. Uh, as long as you have immigration, as long as you have people reproducing, you're going to see progress. Why do we have this, this, this fear of building? And aren't we going to need roads to drive all the electric vehicles on? Well, I, you know, now I, I can be totally cynical and ridiculous here and say, yeah, but there won't be electric vehicles, Scott, because we're all going to travel by public transit because eventually the LRTs of the world and everything else and the bike lanes will connect us everywhere, so we won't need to have any kind of private vehicles. Uh, but that it, hasn't happened yet. No, no, it hasn't happened. And even if that was to happen, and I, I was talking um, last week on Rick's show, and I can't even remember who the guest was I was talking to it with, and the point is here, you know, you're looking at the price of gas going way up and the price of this and that going way up, and a lot of it, is to do with the fact that we're trying to push a green economy. And look, I think most people are okay with the idea of having good environmental policies and trying to make the world cleaner and all the rest. But if you're going to push these policies so fast, at the, we're not ready for them yet. We don't have the technology yet. So now we're talking about, well, heating your house, for an example. And this is what we were talking about on Rick's show. They're saying now that the home heating bills this year are going to skyrocket because we don't have a proper supply of gas. Well, why don't we have a proper supply of gas? Well, there's a number of reasons. but We're not building anything. But if we had built pipelines and stuff earlier on, we might have been able to produce and direct some of our own gas that we've got tons of in this country to help us. And so we want all of this stuff, but we want it immediately, and we are unwilling now, it seems, to accept that there is going to be a time frame to get from point A to point B. And here's my question, this is what we talked about on the show. Are all the people who are the most loudly screaming that we must have green and we must have it today and there can be no exceptions, what are they going to be saying when their home heating bills and all and the prices for food and the prices for things and everything else go through the roof? Are they going to be okay with that? Because I don't think they will. I don't think they will. I think that we have a situation here where we have a goal, we have an ideal, we have a utopia, but we don't want to deal sometimes with the reality that it, you don't just immediately snap your fingers and arrive there. And it's decades and decades before we get there, and so we have to look after things in the meantime to make our life livable. It's amazing how some can think you can just stop growth by not building. And that somehow solves the problem. Well, we're constantly in need of workers and people to come into the province. It just it just baffles me. All right, we're well, out of time again. Yeah, we got to go. But I mean, even the green car, the electric cars. We, we were told that everyone should be pushing towards electric cars and all this stuff. Where are they? Who can afford an electric car right now? So, if you want these things to be done, make them available. But don't tell us we have to drive them and have to buy them and get rid of our gas cars when only the rich people can afford the electric cars right now. That, that makes no sense.
Scott Radley with us, host of the Scott Radley Show, coming up, and columnist with your Hamilton Spectator. As always, Scott, thanks for the time. Be well. You as well, Scott. Thanks for listening to the Hamilton Today podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday afternoons from 3 to 6 on 900CHML and online at 900CHML.com. That is a wrap for the show. Thanks for listening. As always, greatly appreciated. Thanks to Will and Ted and Diana for helping out. As always, we leave it to you, the good listenership, to have the last word this time on the weather. Hey, Scott, it's Glenn. Uh, I took a nap. When I woke up, it was so dark, I heard you. I thought you'd been moved to the overnight shift.